Bibles to the book of Titus. And we are talking about the need in our church and our lives to not just have revival. When you look around uh, the, the country, the world for that matter, but certainly the Western civilization, uh, families are declining, they're struggling. The definition of, of what a marriage is is significantly under attack. Um, and, and to me, that's a bigger issue. And that whole thing is, is not even the morality behind it, but is the definition of words. Uh, that's a whole other sermon for another day. But, but for thousands of years, marriage is, is, is marriage. And uh, what it means and the significance behind it and, and the structure of families is, is under attack. And that is the, um, that holds churches together, that holds cities together nations together the fabric of society is built around the family and on top of that uh, churches are struggling we've got 70 percent of churches are are declined or plateaued you might think that's not really that big of a deal it is a huge big deal uh that's why that you know we started cross life church in the middle of the what used to be the bible belt it's really not the bible belt anymore there's a need for, for new churches because there's so many churches that are declining and are struggling and, and they're just they're they're not uh, reaching people. They're not reaching people and they're swapping the people that are going to church or swapping between church and church and whatever. There, there's a problem there. Uh, we need to revitalize churches. That's important too. But but the bottom line is is what what's the answer to this? I mean we're struggling with. I mean it seems like the world is falling apart. What's the deal? Well we need a reformation. We need a reformation. We need to reform things. And Titus is about that. Titus is a book where uh, Paul, in fact, this is pretty cool. Back in Pentecost, this might not mean anything to you, but Pentecost was the first time after Jesus rose from the dead, he, 40 days later, sits down with the disciples and says, look, I'm going to give you the, um, my last words here before I go ascend to the Father. And he tells them, Again, I just referred to this earlier. Um, I want you to make disciples of all nations. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all I have commanded. And, and remember, I'll be with you always. And then he leaves them, which is kind of weird. And he, but he said, look, you go and wait, according to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Go and wait and pray. And before you take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, those are concentric circles, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world, before you take it there, I'm going to send the Comforter, the Helper, the Holy Spirit to go, and He is going to empower you, and that's going to be my Spirit in you, so I will be with you always, and I'm going to give you the empowerment to take the Gospel to the nations. So go and wait for the Spirit, and when He comes, He's going to say, so at Pentecost was the point where the Holy Spirit comes upon those first believers, and they begin to preach the Gospel, and so they begin to shout out and declare the um, power of God and what God has done. And, and when they're doing this, they're speaking languages that they had not previously known. And there's people from all over the world that were in Jerusalem that day that were hearing the gospel proclaimed in their language that these uh, Jewish fishermen and tax collectors, different people that are now followers of Jesus, they didn't know their languages. And there were some people, were, according to um, Acts chapter 2, that were from the island of Crete. There were some Cretans there. And so for the first time... The gospel was heard by some Cretans and evidently had gone back to the island of Crete and they had shared what they had learned about uh, Jesus, that he was the Messiah and he had come and he had died on the cross for their sins and, and we need to repent, we need to put our trust in him and, and whatever. So the gospel had already gone to the island of Crete. Eventually, Paul finds himself there 
and um, he's able to encourage the believers there. And then he leaves Titus, and he tells Titus, I want you to stay here, and I want you to establish some structures in this church, and I want you to help deal with some of the false teaching in this church. I want, to help you, I want you to help give them a good foundation. So, so here's what's going on. This is really cool. If we could just lift the, hit, the hood up for a moment, and we can look into the early church and say, well, what would it be like? What would it be like when there's very few churches to start a church from scratch? What would it look like to, if Paul was to write a letter to Cross Life and say, okay, here's some things you guys need to be thinking about, okay? Here's some things. Here's some concerns I have, and here's some, some things I'm excited about, and here's some, some things you need to be thinking about just so you can have healthy uh, uh, systems in your church and, and have a healthy church that's going to continue to flourish and be a light for the gospel of Jesus in the community you live in. What would that look like? And this is the answer right here is the book of Titus. So it's some really super cool stuff. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, just a couple verses. I'm going to teach you a little more, but we're going to focus on just really one verse this morning uh, in this passage. But then next week, here's where we're going for, for a couple weeks. Uh, we're going to be talking about the family. How do we have reformation in the home? How many parents here or grandparents or that, that you feel like, you know, you really, as close to as possible, you have been a perfect parent and a perfect grandparent, and you've got it figured out? Okay? All right, well, the, none of them here. Okay, um, how many uh, of you guys would say that you had uh, perfect parents? Anybody here say they had perfect? Okay, that's awkward. Nobody. Um, thank you. Yes. Uh, you must have a birthday coming up or something like that, or you don't want to do school this week. All right. Uh, how many of you have been perfect? You were a perfect child, despite the fact that you had, your parents weren't perfect. You really were perfect, and it's, so it's kind of surprising that things, you maybe were disciplined at times. Okay, no, all right. So um, how many of you would say that your family was not perfect? Present, your past family, your present family is, is less than perfect. Anybody say that would agree? Well, praise the Lord. So next week's for you guys, all right? It's for all of us because none of us have family figured out. But I'm telling you, this is honestly is one of the most critical things today is, is the way we do family. And it is messed up up and christians are pathetic at it we are losing ground so rapidly 80 percent of kids that grow up in a traditional youth group walk away from god six months after they graduate from high school they're not pursuing the lord they're not walking with god why is that what is going on what's the deal well i think we're doing family completely wrong and in in churches are are horrible at it horrible at it and we have bought into some things that we think are the way to do it that it's not working what if 80% of the kids that graduated from um, every, any high school okay, couldn't read? I mean, do you think that maybe we would sound alarm? Do you think that maybe there'd be a problem? Do you think that maybe we'd, you know, this is not acceptable. Or do you think we just keep going, you know, this is the way we do it. I mean, this is the way we do education. This is just the way, I, we're just going to have to keep doing things the same way. No, we would, we would somebody would throw a flag on the play and would say, man, we've got to deal with this. We've got to... Come together, and we're going to figure out a way to do this different. And so that's what we're trying to, to lay out, is what's the foundation. And, and here's why it's important. Let me jump into the passage here, and I'll show you why this is a big deal. Chapter 1 of Titus. Verse, we'll start with verse uh, 4. To Titus, my true child, in a common grace and peace, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior, this is why I left you in Crete, 
so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I have directed you. Now, that, that verse 5 is our key verse. We're going to really camp out on that here and really just part of that. So that you might put what remained in order. That doesn't, he's not meaning to imply um, put what, what's left of, of the church in Crete, you know, try to salvage it. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is straighten out uh, things and, and, and give them a good path to run on. And whatever's lacking, whatever they don't know or haven't have established for leadership and structures and healthy systems, I want you to address those things and to make sure that you have met those needs and provide the leadership there to get things going in the right direction so that um, this church can grow in a healthy way. So put what is lacking in order, what is remaining in order uh, for this church. And then he tells them how he wants him to do that. And that's this next part. Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. That is the the word there, presbyteros. Presbyteros, a little audience participation. What does that sound like? Presbyteros. Sounds like Presbyterian, okay? And then he says, uh, verse 6, if anyone is above reproach, meaning that he is blameless, if there's any man in your congregation that, that's blameless, there's not, um, you know, there's not some issues there. He doesn't have an uh, obvious track record or some, there's some character flaws that everybody knows about. If there's somebody that's blameless, the husband of one wife, one woman man, uh, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery. This is, uh, in other words, that they're not wasteful, reckless, living recklessly, wastefully, blowing their lives away, um, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. In other words, they're, they're not rebellious against their, their family or you know, culture, community, leaders, whatever. Uh, these are, this is who you're looking for. And then verse 7, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. Now, overseer is the Greek word episkopos. Episkopos. What does that sound like? Episcopal. Okay, so why are there so many denominations? Well, this is one of the reasons. Presbyteros, Presbyterian, Episcopos, Episcopal. Okay, and then there's another term that's not in this passage, but you find it in Acts chapter 20, and you find it in, in uh, Peter mentions it, and I think it's in 1 Timothy in the qualifications of leadership, but it's, it's the word we get pastor from, uh, poime, and so, or poimain, poimain, which means pastor, so shepherd the flock, shepherd the people. And so these are three words for leadership in the church. And incidentally, they are not separate terms. This is where I think a lot of denominations have split off is because they have wrongly interpreted those words and they have created a structure that's not in the Bible. And so they've taken Presbyterian, uh, Presbyterians have taken the Presbyteros. They said, okay, let's put all elders over the churches. And so we're going to have teaching elders and then we'll have ruling elders. And those are separate categories. Well, there's no separate category. They're just Presbyteros. They're just elders. And then the Episcopal folks have said, well, let's put a bishop, is another way of translating that, overseer or bishop. We'll put a bishop over the elders and, and who are over the pastors. So we'll have pastors, elders, bishops. And then we can even add, let's put an archbishop. That would be really cool. We'll put an archbishop. In fact, let's get one guy, and he could be Jesus on earth, and we'll call him the Pope. That'd be, he could be the vicar of Christ. He'll be Christ on the earth. That'd be great. Well, I, incidentally, it's not in the book. It's not in the book. And so if you were to go to them and you were to say, where did you get that? They, they, here's what their argument would be. Church tradition. 
Church tradition has interpreted this for us. And you say, well, it's not in the Bible. I mean, how could you? You are a lowly church person. And you do not have the authority or the wisdom or the knowledge or the spiritual insight to tell the church what it has interpreted right and what it has interpreted wrong. So you need to be quiet and just obey. Okay, now this went over so well that Martin Luther started to identify these things that were inconsistent with tradition and with the Bible, and he found up 95 that he highlighted, and he took it to the Pope, thinking the Pope would be excited about this, um, after he nailed it to the, the church door at the church that he was pastoring as, as a priest, and it sparked something that we call the Protestant, Protestant Reformation. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Okay, so he was saying, clearly that's not in the book. And so, so what became the mantra of that time was Scripture alone, salvation by grace alone, um, Jesus alone. Okay, that, those were the things that sola de gloria, God's glory alone, um, and sola scriptura, which is God, the Scripture, the Word of God alone. So let's take all traditions and let's put them underneath the Word of God. And let's make sure what we're doing is biblical and is right, Okay. You with me on this so far? So he's telling him, establish some leadership. And these three titles, elder, bishop, overseer, and pastor are all the same thing. But they function differently. Elders are who they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be blameless. They're supposed to have integrity and, and maturity. And that's why you, you, you often, even in our culture today, we still use the term, hey, you know, well, the elders say, or the elders in the community think, and the elders, there's incredible disrespect and insubordination in our culture today for folks that have some age and some maturity. But historically, we all understand elders. When you talk about your elders, you're talking about the older, more mature. It's not necessarily an age thing here as much as it is a level of maturity, Okay, spiritual maturity in their life and that they're blameless. And there's been enough life experience that you can examine their life and make sure that it, it's, they have integrity and people can follow them. You with me? Second one is overseer, and that is what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to oversee the work of the ministry, the equipping of the saints. And the third one is pastor, and that's how they're supposed to do it. They're supposed to do it by shepherding people, by chasing off wolves, by, by healing and helping sheep when they, when they break their leg, picking them up and helping as under-shepherds, under Jesus, who's ultimately the shepherd, they're supposed to serve on behalf of Jesus in helping bind up those who are wounded, lead them to still waters, help feed the flock, you know, help the flock, and all those things. Make sense? This is the structure. You say, well, why is this stuff important? Why does this stuff really even matter? Well, let me move on. I'm going to answer that question in a second. So the husband of one wife, children who are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer is God's steward, must be above reproach, must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, or a, a drunkard, violent, greedy of, for gain, but hospitable, lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. So, so he gives him some examples of he's supposed to have integrity. Here's what he should look like. Then he goes through five um, signs Five vices that you shouldn't see in his life. Five examples of his flesh not being submitted to God's Spirit. And that's verse 7. He's not supposed to be uh, arrogant. Shouldn't be quick-tempered. Shouldn't be a drunkard. Have a problem with alcohol. Should not be violent or greedy for gain. Okay, If, if on a given Sunday I'm preaching and I get mad and I, I pick up a chair and I throw it at people, I probably wouldn't, shouldn't be a pastor, right? 
um, or if, I'm, if I have a tendency to get violent and, you know, uh, and, and that, that's a reputation, then I, I'm, not, I'm not fit to be in a pastor. If I get mad, uh, you know, like that, that's, that's an unhealthy thing. Or if I have an issue with alcohol or, um, you know, arrogance and all that. Anyways, a list of, of things there. But then he not only does he give, here's five vices and fleshly things he should avoid. He gives six virtues and signs of fruit in, in this person's life. They should be hospitable. They should, they should be a lover of, of what is good. They should be self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold for, firm to trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. So he obviously needs to know the word. So he goes to these descriptions. Now, I don't want to spend all our time on that. I want to focus back up a little bit to verse 5, and let's just look for a moment at these, this phrase again, so that you might put what remained in order. Put what remained in order. Here's the bottom line. For the church to be what God wants it to be, there needs to be some order. I've got something in a little crate here, um, and it is a, uh, it's a plant. Oh, look, what a great place to have a plant. And so this is, uh, if you can imagine with me that this is a, this is a uh, grapevine, if you will, okay? Um, I've been waiting for grapes to grow. It hasn't happened yet. It's obviously probably just me, um, but surely grapes will grow in this thing. Uh, you know, th- this is a great, um, awesome plant, and uh, the thing about plants, and I- I'm not a horticulturalist to say, but uh, I'm not scared of plants at-, at the same time. I've killed several, and I've helped some live, um, but nonetheless, uh, if you want it to flourish, assuming this is a grapevine, uh, it- it's not going to do good hanging like this, right? Now, now, what the most important thing about this plant is the plant, right? It- it's-, it's green, as so we know it's alive, okay? It looks like it has a fairly healthy color, but is it really reaching the potential that, that God would have for it to reach? And so the best way to, to see that is if we would take a trellis, if you will, and we would attach it here to the pot, and then we would take some time, we would secure the vine. Because having a trellis is great, but the vine has to be attached to it, right? Correct? So if it's disconnected, doing its own thing, not really going to help. But if we could take it and we could attach the trellis here, I mean the vine to the trellis, that's going to help a little bit. So we want this thing to flourish. So we're going we're gonna to have to tie it up. And, and so what happens is this is an incredible leadership principle that uh, for those of you that are, are uh, in the business world, this certainly translates to you. Um, this is true in our families. And this is most true, uh, certainly true, in the body of Christ. And that is that the vine can only grow to the extent that the, there's healthy structures. Imagine yourself, for instance, without a... Um, skeleton this morning. Okay, you would be a little sloppy. Let's just be honest. You'd be like a bunch of jellyfish here and you'd be flopping around and you guys would have rolled in and rolled out and it would be a really ugly scene. But you have a healthy skeletal system and that's really important to you being healthy, right? And so for your, you know, your body to flourish and your organs to all do what they're supposed to do, you have to have that structure and that system, and so it is absolutely imperative that any healthy organism that's going to flourish has to have healthy systems. And that is certainly true about a plant and a grapevine, and it's even true about the body of Christ in the church. We have to look at two things. We have to look at the vine, but we also have to look at the trellis. Now, I want to take a second and look at the trellis. Here's some examples of the trellis. When you think about the church and the trellis, in our illustration, it makes us think of committees, programs, budgets. How boring was that here in the welcome time? I'm reading to you numbers. 
Some of you guys are, you're, you love, you know, you, you do your devotions on Excel spreadsheets and you were loving it. And others were just like, if he says one more thing about money, I'm just, and it wasn't, yeah, anyways. So committees, uh, programs, budgets, structures, okay, um, buildings. Man, it's, what a blessing to have a warm building to meet in. But, you know, we, we had a bunch of snow out front and ice that we had to, we had to chip away this week so that we could come and worship here and nobody broke a hip outside, right? So we were, that was a nuisance. You know, we had to pay for, we had a fire marshal come in um, several weeks ago to, to check us off to make sure that we would be permitted to have an assembly here. And that was another 300 bucks to, to pay to get the battery switched out so that we can have an exit. You know that this exit light right here has to be illuminated? I mean, we can all read it. I mean, does it really necessary? But evidently, you have to put a little tiny nightlight battery or uh, bulb in there to, so that it can be illuminated. So, you know, we did that. We put batteries so that when the lights go off, there's a lot of smoke in the building, which happened a couple weeks ago. Um, we can all, the lights didn't go out, but, but we can all get out safely. So you're, you can worship here safely because we spent 300 bucks to fix those things, and that's part of buildings. They're, they're a blessing, but they could be a curse too, right? And so uh, many of you have told me stories of churches you've been in. I've certainly been in a part where the, where the buildings were just... They took, they were the whole focus of things. They are tangible and they're visible. The trellis, tangible and visible. Now, I'll give you some examples. Here's a couple trellises to look at. This is just a spectacular, look at how beautiful that thing is. Man, that is a good looking trellis, isn't it? That'll look good. It's just missing one thing. A vine, correct. And you know, what happens in so many churches is, is, is all the focus is on the programs and the buildings and the budgets and the the this and the that and the tangible and the seen, and there's no emphasis on the life of the, the, the plant, of the church, of the body, the people. That is what is not focused on. And so sometimes, check this one. That's nice, but look at this thing. That is a good-looking trellis. If I was building a trellis, that's what my trellis would look like right there. Look at that thing. Bigger and even better. Even bigger and better than the last one. That thing is a monstrosity. That is a spectacular-looking trellis. And so that brings us to the next thought here. Not only are structures building tangible, but you know what? One of the things that trellises show us is we can do some great things without God. You can build an incredible trellis, and you don't even need God to do it. You understand that? We can do it incredible. That doesn't mean they're bad. I mean, they're evil, but it just... We can do great things without God. And it can look like our church has got it going on. Because look at our trellis. It's spectacular. It's painted. It's beautiful. It's huge. It's awesome. But you know what? The one problem with trellises is they're unfruitful. They never, ever, ever produce fruit. By contrast, let's look at the vine. The vine teaches us several things. The vine is about people. The vine is... is it's personal. You have to get involved with people's lives if you're going to be about the vine. If you're going to be about the vine, you're going to have to get your hands dirty in the dirt. And it's going to get a little yucky. Love to shake your hand on the way out a little later. But it, you know, you're going to get some dirt under your nails, okay? It's going to hard, it's hard to be clean when you're messing with the vine. There's fertilizer. And the best fertilizer is even dirtier. You get what I'm picking up. It stinks sometimes, but it also provides for a more fruitful vine. So sometimes the, the most stinky things and the stinkiest parts of the body sometimes bear the most fruit eventually, right? And so it's messy. It's dirty. It, it requires some serious prayerfulness. You've got to be prayerful when you're messing with the vine. To, to go on from that, 
It's fluid. It's invisible. A lot of the vine work that we do, you, you don't see on a Sunday. You know that this week, a lot of vine work happened and we hadn't gathered for seven days? You know, every week, vine work is happening even though we're not gathering as the body. Even though it's not visible and we don't see it, it's going on. It's happening. Uh, we're talking about at our celebration, three-year celebration, we're going to have the opportunity, hopefully, to baptize two, maybe more, but I know at least two folks that are going to be baptized. That is the fruit of years of vine work is, the, is this baptism. We're going to see a visible picture of what God's done. But you know what? God has been working all along. We just didn't see it. That's one of the things that's awesome about baptism is it gives us a chance to see some fruit on the vine. It helps us see a little bit of what's going on and what God's doing. So it's visible. Another thing is it's, it's slow going. It's invisible. It's slow going. It takes a while to, to work on the vine. And I'll tell you something else. It is impossible without God. And you cannot build a vine without God's help. It's impossible without God. But, man, there is some incredible opportunity for fruitfulness when you are about the vine. You know, in the New Testament, the Bible says very little about church growth. Very little. I mean, it gives us some healthy systems and structures that are helpful for us in leadership and what that should look like and who's qualified and who's disqualified and what why that's important. But it mainly focuses on the gospel growth, the gospel increasing and growing in people. It, it focuses on the word increasing and growing in people. It re- re- focuses on lives changed and transformed, presenting every man, every woman mature in Christ. Those are some of the phrases that the Bible uses as it's helping us understand that the vine is where we need to put our emphasis and our attention. But understand this, healthy systems and structure, key sentence, healthy systems and structure, i.e. trellis, create an environment, can create an environment for greater kingdom growth. Healthy systems and structures can create an environment for greater kingdom growth and fruitfulness. Without the structure, the plant's never going to be what it could be. But you could spend all your time on the structure and not have a healthy plant, right? So how, how do we do these things? What does it look like? Well, I, I want to point you to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And you can flip there in your Bibles or write down a reference. And we're going to spend the rest of our time in Acts chapter 6. Here's what it says. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in numbers. So there's a lot of people who are following Jesus and the church is growing daily. Those who are being saved, we're told. A complaint rises up by the Hellenists against the Hebrews. The Hellenists were the Greeks. They were the non-Jewish believers. They were not Jewish, but then nonetheless, they had believed in Jesus as their Lord, as their Savior, as their Master, surrendered their lives to Him. And so you have the Hebrew Christians, and you have the um, Gentile and the Hellenistic uh, Greek Christians. And so there's a tension going between these two groups. And here's what it was about. It arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So evidently, daily they're gathering, and everybody was looking out for the Hebrew widows, but nobody was taking care of the Hellenistic widows. And so you had some ladies people were looking out for, and other ladies they weren't looking out for. It was kind of rude. It was wrong. And so the leadership, the, the, the elders, the, the apostles at that time and the elders, they're coming together and they're looking at this, and, and it's becoming a major strain 
And so here is the body of Christ is growing. The vine is growing, but it's on the ground. And there's some conflicts and problems. And they realize, man, we've got to put some trellis in. Because if there's not some healthy trellis, this thing, this is a problem. There's some infection that's starting to break in. Some of the vines starting to break down. This thing's not going to be fruitful if we don't provide some structure. So what would they do? Next verse. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God and serve tables. Now, I don't think that's it. I don't think it's a statement of pride. I don't think it's a statement of an unwillingness to serve. They're just saying, look, this is not good if we no longer can continue preaching the gospel and discipling and pouring into people in the vine work. We are, man, we're, we are, our hands, we're up to our elbows in the dirt with the vine. And this isn't healthy. And, and so as we're working on the vine and we're trying to multiply more people to work on the vine, we need some people that are going to work on the trellis also. There's a need for that. We need some people to work on the trellis. Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good re- uh, reputation, good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So, so we, we need some folks, full of the Spirit, wisdom, who we can point to this, uh, to this job, this duty. And we can then devote ourselves to, to praying for the vine which again is invisible. Prayer is one of the hardest things for me as a pastor to do because it's, it's invisible. I feel like I'm not doing anything, but yet it's the most strategic thing for me to do, for me to, to put a pause in the day and say, you know what, I'm going to go to God because he's the only one who can grow the vine ultimately. I mean, we can, we can build the biggest trellis in the world, but if, if there's not rain and water and sun, then nothing happens and God's the one who controls the faucet and the light bulb, right? And so we need him to bring life where there's death. We need him to, to do some things. And so, so, so we've got to be praying, and we can all be praying, but certainly as a leader, I need to be praying. Devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, let me just say about Stephen, he is the first martyr. So in the next chapter, maybe in the end of this chapter, he's going to get killed. And he is going to preach an incredible message. And I, I just want to bring that note out to you just to let you know. You, I know seeing that he's one of the first guys they list, you're probably thinking, Stephen clearly is a behind-the-scenes, introverted, service kind of guy. Man, he probably, he doesn't, he's probably uncomfortable talking to folks, and he probably just sits in the, in the he just, he's one of those faithful guys. Man, he'll do whatever you need in the background. No, man, Stephen could preach. Man, he could preach. He proclaimed the gospel in a powerful way, and he knew the word of God. Man, he preached and went through a huge chunk of the Old Testament explaining who Jesus was throughout the whole Bible. It was incredible what Stephen did. And so understanding that, yeah, some of our presuppositions about gifts play into this. A man full of faith, the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Permanus, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, they set up them before the apostles, they prayed, laid hands on them, picturing God's hands on these guys. And then the word of God, this is the beauty of it. Here's what happened. Fruitfulness. Verse 7. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So the word of God continued and increased, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. When they had healthy systems, things flourished. But here's the issue. This week, 
This week we had a little issue. We had um, ice, and, uh, and so uh, there was ice all over the sidewalk and snow, ice all over the parking lot. And, and you know, it was, I, it was tempting for me to come out there and to, and to look at that and just to stand and look at it and go, you know what? God has called me to preach. God has called me to pastor. God has called me. He's gifted me as, uh, with, with his spiritual gifts. And my gifts mix really is in, um, you know, pastoral strength and then, you know, probably teaching, maybe a little bit of prophecy uh, there as far as explaining the word of God. And uh, anyways, that, that's my gifts. Clearly nowhere in there is service. And so I, what, what I should have done is stood out there and just looked at the and just thought, you know what, God has not gifted me to serve. And so we need to find somebody with the gift of service to take care of this. I didn't do that. David didn't do that. I don't you get service might be one of your gifts. I don't, but both of us, we're out there with shovels. And we're scraping ice because we want this place to be ready for when we worship. Mr. John shows up. We didn't call Mr. John. John just comes and shows up with his shovel, which was far better than our shovel than actually did twice as much work because it's key is having the right tools and so you know he's just wearing us out just you know clearing everything off we're throwing salt down we're getting this place ready and it was just there was a need here's the point there was a need and it needed to be addressed and we just needed to address it i don't know what your spiritual gift is i don't know if you know anything about spiritual gifts i'll tell you this god has gifted you with some spiritual gifts that are to be utilized in the body of christ but they do not negate you from serving in other areas. In other words, if you have the gift of service, it doesn't mean that you don't have to do evangelism. And if you have the gift of evangelism, it doesn't mean that you don't serve. If you have the gift of prophecy, it doesn't mean that you walk around bossing people around and telling them all the sin in their lives. That is not the gift of prophecy, okay? It, it, there's ways that those things flesh out. In my ministry, uh, as a, before coming to Cross Life, um, I was a college and 20-somethings pastor at church, and uh, my best Sunday school teacher, Bible study leader, in, in our ministry was Janet. She was incredible at it, but she would be quick to tell you her gift is not teaching, but she was an incredible teacher. And she used her gifts, mix, mercy and servant-heartedness. And, and you know, I think she does have some gifting and exhortation. And as she's serving, the, she was able to teach using her gifts. They, they uh, worked out in such a way in these girls' lives that she was able to really pour into their lives and do some and, and make a big impact in their lives even though she's not a quote-unquote teacher. We just had some girls that needed an, an older woman to pour into them and to help them grow in their faith. And that happened because there was a need in the body. And so sitting somewhere close to you is a card. I'd like you to grab it. It has a little wood all around the little frame. It's a card. And that card is a series of teams. And it has a question next to the team. And I'm not going to read all of these, but I'll, let me just read a couple for you. Host team, for instance. The host team. How can we create the most friendly and welcoming environment that is easy to navigate each Sunday for our guests and for our cross-lifers? What would it look like if, is if you drove on this parking lot and this is the most friendly piece of concrete property, whatever, in the, in the Tri-Cities region, and it was really easy to find your way around, and you could get in here, and there's people smiling in the parking lot and in the lobby, and, and man, people were loving, and they cared for you, and they were kind. That's the host team. We need some people to do that. And you say, well, that's really not my gift set. I, all I got to say is there's a need in the body, and we need the body to, to, to do that. And so th- that's a simple area. Here's another one, building team. So I don't really build things. Well, how, how can we create and maintain the best physical environment for cross-life gatherings, ministry, and fellowships. All of the ministry of cross-life is not confined, praise the Lord, to this building. Nonetheless, we want it to be a good testimony. 
And so when people come here, if it smells like, you know, um, like sewage or something, or, or it's dirty and nasty and bathrooms aren't clean and there's junk all over the floor and there's trash outside and it looks horrible, I, what, what kind of testimony is that of, of Jesus, right? I mean, let's clean this place up, man. Let's, let's, let's make it, let's be good hosts and let's make the best environment so we, so we will be ready for people to come. How about fellowship event? Team, how can we organize and streamline our church-wide meals and special events for everyone's participation? Um, let's jump down to music tech team. How can we facilitate the worship and exaltation of Jesus with minimal distractions? There's needs. We have some uh, folks that have stepped up in that area, but we, we, we need more folks to help in these different areas. I, it's the saddest thing is when people walk away and go, you know, there really wasn't anything for me to do at the church. I, just, I, I, I was looking for somewhere where I could be used, my gifts could be used. Look, there's tons of need. But I want you to understand two quick things. Two quick things. We could spend all of our time on the trellis, and it is necessary to the neglect of the vine. And what happens in a lot of churches is, is they start cracking the whip, and we're trying to get people to do certain jobs to the neglect of the spiritual health of those people. You might be in a place spiritually right now where you're just saying, look, it's all I could do to just get here, and I'm here, and I don't, I've, I've burn out because of this or that or the circumstance of my life and whatever, and, and I'm struggling, and there's not a lot I can do. Well, there's things that you can do on this ministry teams that would be monthly or even quarterly or a couple times a year. It's not going to be significantly taxing, but the most important thing is we care about you. We care about your spiritual maturity. We care about how you're doing and how you're growing, and we don't want to be the, the kind of church where if, if everybody's doing something, they're therefore mature. Just because you're working on the trellis doesn't mean that you are connected to the soil, okay? And there is life flowing through the vine of your life. The key is not that we overwork, but that we overflow, that we would abide in Christ. And because we're abiding in Christ, that produces fruit. But there's some simple, simple, easy ministry opportunities for us to do that will help us Build the trellis so that we can continue to grow as a church. The saddest thing for me would be for somebody to come through the doors, be here on a Sunday morning, and walk out and say, you know, nobody, nobody ever really talked to me. Or it was really kind of dirty and just gross, and it just seemed, didn't seem like they really cared about worship. They didn't think much about Jesus because the music stunk. And, and the, not only did the music stink, but the building stunk, and, and people were unfriendly, and they were unkind, and they were whatever. You know. Man, this, this place, that we, we should exude the love of Christ and wash people's feet as they walk in the doors. And how can we do that? And so we've just laid down some simple, simple ministry teams that will help us build some structures. So I'm asking you to pray this morning, and we're going to lock the doors, and we're going to turn the heat back on. And you're not leaving until you've got uh, five of these chairs. No, I'm kidding. Um, I would just ask you to pray about, God, what what do you want me to do? And some of these things, you're just going to read one of those questions. You're going to be, that's a problem, and I'm fired up about it. I want to help solve that problem. I want to jump in there. I want to be a part of the solution to that. I want to help grow the vine here. I want to create the best environment and the best systems so that the vine, which is what the point is, can really grow and flourish as the body of Christ here at Cross Life. I want to see that happen. I want to invest myself in that and, and be a part of that process. And so, so read through that. Those are the opportunities. You can drop that in the offering basket here in a moment, or you can... Um, just do not leave the property with this card. It will self-destruct. It'll blow your car up if you try to leave with it. No, I'm kidding. You can take it home if you need to, but please pray about this and, and how God wants to use you and utilize. You might say, well, I've only been here a couple times. I'm not. I, listen, if you're excited about what God's doing at Cross Life, you want to be a part of this, 
I've not been through Cross Life Basics. I've not, it doesn't matter. Jump in there. Be a part of the body of Christ. Man, we'd love for you to join us in reaching out and growing the vine. Paul told Timothy, I want you to put what remains in order. Point leadership. I want you to be about putting some trellis there so that the vine can flourish. Listen, fruitfulness, fruitfulness in eternity is in the balance for us to do what God has called us to do. Let's pray. Father, we understand healthy systems and structure create an environment for greater kingdom fruitfulness. Healthy, a healthy trellis will create an environment for greater kingdom fruitfulness. Lord, you have birthed the vine here. And you're working and developing and growing the vine. And Lord, I'm so thankful for the ways that you have pruned our lives, that you have pinned us to the trellis, that you are growing us individually and as a body. But God, I pray for you to give us wisdom as we continue to press forward, Lord, that we would not try to centralize and institutionalize everything, but God, that we would put healthy systems in place so that the vine can flourish, grow, and God, even that there be a day where the vine could be clipped and we could plant the vine in new soils with new trellises, that the gospel would spread to our region and to the nations. So Father, use us live surrendered, Father, for your glory. In Jesus' name, we pray and we worship.